Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, thanks for tuning into the podcast again. Tired of your business's healthcare costs unpredictably increasing every year? Healthcare costs are typically a business's second or third line item expense. And if you're like most employers, it's an expense that's growing faster than your revenue. Luckily for employers, Novetta Health has the solution. Novetta Health is a full-service healthcare consulting firm with proven strategies to lower your healthcare costs by up to 30% or more. They operate on a fee-for-service model and never mark up any of their medical or pharmaceutical claims. None of your employees have to leave their doctor or pharmacist either. Their health captive and pharmacy benefit manager are the most cost-effective and transparent solutions in the whole country. What they do is not magic. It's just honest. So if you're tired of overspending on health insurance and want to learn more, visit outcomesrocket.health save for a free spend analysis to see how you too could save by switching to Novetta Health. That's outcomesrocket.health save for your free spend analysis. Outcomesrocket.health save. Welcome back to the podcast. Saul Marquez here and truly excited that you tuned in once again. I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Andrew Chaco today. He's principal at Chaco MD. He's a psychiatrist and founder of his firm. He specializes in healthcare innovation and leadership, teaches clinicians and engineers how to become design thinkers and leaders in healthcare. He draws extensively on his medical knowledge, his training and work as a designer and innovator, and his long career focus on leadership established by his service as a naval officer. He's taught workshops in design thinking across the continuum of learners from high school students to graduate engineers and seasoned clinicians. When taking a look at, at the things that we could do to impact healthcare, it's super important that we consider these broad base of, of perspectives. As a psychiatrist, he served as a medical director at the Addiction Consultant and Treatment Team for the Veteran Affairs Palo Alto Healthcare System, teaching hospital for Stanford University System. So it's a true pleasure to have him here on the podcast. He's had a number of, of accolades and accomplishments through his career. What I want to do is open up the microphone to him to open up any of his key interests and things that I may have left out in the intro. So true pleasure to have you here, Andrew. Welcome. Hi, Saul. Thank you so much for having me. And I apologize about, I'm going to lead off with an apology that in my bio, that was great. Thank you, by the way. I mean, you said it much better than I could have said it myself. <laughs> One thing has changed. I have yes. recently left clinical, full-time clinical practice. So I went from Stanford and Apollo to VA to UCSF and the SFBA and finally really took the leap into trying to do this innovation work that I've been building on the side into doing that full time and put my money where my mouth was and embrace the fear of leaving a full-time clinical practice that was, you know, robust and fun and rewarding doing this stuff that I think can really actually make even more of an impact. Oh, so well, that's been a few months since I did that. Well, congratulations, Andrew, and, Thank and uh, thanks for clarifying that. I definitely give you kudos for making the jump. I think the more physician leaders that have been there and done that, the front line that we have, the better I think the results will be. So I, I commend you for that choice. And just curious, what is it that got you in the healthcare to begin with? So it's really interesting. That's a great question. I was working as a designer. I spent 12 years in the Navy. 
and had stumbled into this program at Stanford, which was a joint program in mechanical engineering and art, and just found my home in many ways. I'd been an engineer my professional life and an artist my whole life, and thought, this is amazing. And that turned out to be the design program. So as I began to work as a designer, and I was working at IDEO and teaching design and practicing design independently as well, I was coming up short. I was actually working on a Swiffer and making lint so we could test the Swiffer and Uh felt there have got to be better uses for my brain than making lint. (laughs) So I started looking around and thinking, well, what problems need solving? Where can I really apply these design skills? And I happened to see doctors carrying pagers. And I thought that is absolutely ridiculous in the 21st century. I can build something better than that. Yeah. And as I started investigating the space, I saw that here were some of my really very smart colleagues having a hard time bridging that gap, connecting with clinicians and being able to really make what they needed to make. And I was looking very early at medical device design. And um, Mm. so I thought, again, rather simplistically, and this is how many great projects start. Well, I'm a pretty good student. How hard is medical school? Maybe if I just go and become a doctor, I can design (laughs) from the inside and obviate some of those problems. So that led me to medical school. And I went with the intention of punching out right afterwards and going straight into the innovation space and actually had an offer lined up at Media Lab at MIT to go and build like what is the future of healthcare straight out of medical school. Nice. And as I was getting closer to the end, I realized you know, there's a lot of smart people coming straight from medical school. And this echoes back to what you had said previously about having been there and done that. And I thought those people are going into consulting roles and whatnot. And yet we're still facing some of these like fundamental problems in the healthcare space. I think what I need, if I'm really going to tackle this problem, is some more clinical experience. So that led me from my dream job at Media Lab, which I honestly, I probably would have paid to do instead of getting paid. (laughs) I would have loved it that much that I would have paid to do it. And they did offer to pay me, of course, to what many people describe as hell on earth as residency. But it was actually a really smart decision from a standpoint of that really shaped so much of my thought and ideas about how we can transform healthcare into the system and this kind of living, breathing entity that can really serve humanity instead of how it's kind of struggling along or feels like it is these days. What a great story. (laughs) What a great story, Dr. Chaco. And uh, you're definitely not afraid to do the work and uh, you're not afraid to get in the trenches and do what it takes. So very cool that you took a less traditional route, but said, you know what, I'm going to go all the way, get the experience. You've been there. You've done that. You've been a designer. You've been a psychiatrist, a physician. What would you say is a hot topic that needs to be on health leaders' agenda today, and how do we have to approach it? That's a great question, and thank you for asking it. I would say one thing that I've found truly transformative that helps me conceptualize the problem, and I think that we can all benefit from, is really understanding this concept of design thinking and how it can help an organization or even the institution itself better do what it's trying to do. So at its core, design thinking is simply 
you know, beyond the buzzword is simply a process for creative problem solving. And that's all it is. And when I conceive of it, I break it down into three parts. The first is to really understand the problem that you're facing. And the second is this ideation phase where you come up with all these crazy ideas. And this is the post-it note craziness that most people think of when they think of designers, if they think of designers, and with all their wild ideas. And the final part is to prototype and test out these hypotheses we have about solutions as quickly and crudely as possible, and then try to implement what we learn from those tests back into this growing solution. But of all of these, I would say that that first phase to really understand the problem is probably the most crucial. And why I say that is we often, as we're going, trying to innovate and trying to come up with new solutions, one of the mistakes we commonly run into is confusing a current solution for the problem. So and take the example out of medicine and think about like if I were designing a new fridge for young adults, millennials who are living in really small apartments, for example, we might start with the assumption that the problem is that, oh, the fridges are too big for these small apartments. Yeah. And then we'd set off on this path of like designing a smaller fridge. But if I have the latitude and the ability to zoom out and really understand things, we can notice that fridges aren't the problem and the fact that they're too big isn't the problem. The real problem is that food spoils and humans don't do well when we eat spoiled food. (laughs) So then it just opens up a whole host of other possible solutions that we can explore, right? What Mm -hmm. if we could make food that doesn't spoil? What if we could explore this idea of delivering food in such a timely manner that you don't actually need to store it? So then it obviates the need for a fridge what's you know altogether. Right? So what if eating by yourself in your space is not the solution? I mean, there's a whole host of different avenues we can explore yeah. that can take us away from this idea of like what we need is this box that's cold that keeps food preserved. It's yeah. an interesting point that you bring up, you know, because if we really dial into some of the some of the issues that we come up with, I think it's worth examining this initial assumption is what you're saying. Yeah, that's a great point, Saul. And the way, one way to do that is this technique called the five whys. And uh, many people learn that in business school about like when you look at a process, going back to, well, why are we doing it that way? And then why are we doing it that way? And why is that? And keep going about five times to really get to the root. And ideally that helps you question some of those assumptions that we sometimes haven't. About well, we might get to the point where we think, well, we've always done it that way. But we stop at five because if you keep going, you get back to the whole like, what's the meaning of life and why are we here and why not? So we're going to stop a little bit shy of that to kind like of get part of what we're trying to I like do. it a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a great great approach, and I think one that that maybe we don't think about as often as we should. Right? We we oftentimes mm-hmm. just make that initial assumption, and and that initial assumption could really set us off course. Definitely. So you're focused on, on identifying the problem. You, you want to ideate, you want to engineer, put it all together. Give us an example of how you or one of your customers uh, have done this. So one of the things that I've been doing around this is my focus has been looking at in a while, I think I've been blessed with a ton of great ideas and I have a lot of opinions about how to transform healthcare. 
I know that all the great ideas don't rest with me and where we can really get some traction is to create this kind of army of problem solvers, right? So that's been my mission. And the reason I created ChuckWMD is to democratize some of these tools so that clinicians and entrepreneurs and innovators everywhere can start really solving the problems that they're facing in the healthcare space, or at least have the vocabulary for clinicians to talk to the innovators that are solving the problems and can be part of the solution. So it kind of plays on this African proverb about give a man a fish or a woman a fish in this case, or that case, uh, and you feed them for a day, teach Mm -hmm. them to fish, and you can feed them for a lifetime. So how I've been going back and turning that whole process on my own process, turning this design thinking process on me is I've been looking at how, what are the different ways that I can more and more effectively reach these different audiences. So i had been working on writing, then doing workshops, and how can I deliver those workshops more effectively to keynotes, to videos, like just playing with this whole exercise of how do we best democratize these tools. And that's as good design is, it's an ongoing process. And I've had some good fortune and good luck with some of the stuff that I'm doing now. So yeah. that's great, Andrew. Great yeah, question. you know, creating an army of problem solvers instead of just going in there and helping them solve one problem. You you want to enable, and the word you use was democratize these tools. I went to a meeting a couple months ago, and uh, it was fun. We did a little workshop with IDEO on some creative problem solving. The issue was. Uh, pediatric patients that stay at the hospital longer than a week, you know, how do you get them to be mobile? And some of the stuff that came up was just like crazy, right? The post-it notes and, um, but you know, the interesting thing was the experience and having gone through it and leaving with those skills was very valuable. Definitely. Yeah. So you're doing that. that And that is some of the feedback I get after doing some of this, exposing people to, these ideas that have not really had the luxury of going through it before. It can be life-changing at times. And it's even like the smallest idea, like the idea okay. that even go with the craziest idea. And what ended up happening, and you, you know this, Andrew, is we adopted mm-hmm. our crazy, it was a modified version of the crazy idea, but we adopted it. That's what we decided to go forward with. Totally. Yeah, when I teach the workshops, one of the things I do is I encourage people to go for ideas, like really at least come up with the ideas that are physically impossible. And one of my favorite examples was I was doing a brainstorming, I was teaching brainstorming to a bunch of Asian medical students and physicians that had come over to Stanford to understand the American healthcare process. And we picked a problem about how do you get patients more effectively to their appointments? because oftentimes that can be a harrowing experience. People show up to the hospital, they don't know where they're going, they got to follow the purple line on the floor, and then they're confused, and they get late, or there's parking issues. And the crowd had, I disclosed that I love superheroes. I'm a big superhero fan. And so the idea they came up with was, why don't we have superheroes greet them at the door and fly them to their appointments? And I got really excited about that idea. and. Because in it, there's a nugget of something really interesting. 
what if the greeters were dressed up like superheroes? How could that transform that experience of going to the hospital? And the hospital could then be transformed into the Justice League if you're a DC fan or whatever, like the Avengers yeah. building if you're a Marvel fan, right? So if you look at that, how much does Disney do that and transform the experience by getting people to dress up like a mouse or a mermaid? In mm-hmm. we show up, we know that that's not really Ariel or even a mermaid for that matter. And yet, because it's part of the experience, it can be transformative. And now you take this thing that's historically been this negative experience about going to the hospital and it can be rather fun and entertaining or distracting at the very least. So I think that there's a lot of beauty in kind of reinventing that process. Yeah, that's a great example. And yeah, it's it's amazing how these things come to life. Folks, uh, we'll, we'll uh, provide a way for you to, to take a look at some of the things that Dr. Chaco does. So you could take a deep dive and see if some of it is, is right for you, but definitely something I recommend because it was it was really insightful for me. Tell us about an exciting project you're focused on. So yeah, one of the interesting things, and people that know me well will, will tell you that I get excited about a lot of projects and I have my hands in a ton of things. Started with this idea of writing a book about how to transform healthcare. And as I was, again, designing around that process, I've decided to make a movie around that because video is such an accessible medium for so many people. And then also the idea of capturing, you know, multidimensionally the lessons so we can learn both visually and audially and all these different ways we can pull it in. But one thing that I'm doing currently that I'm investing a lot of time in is building this two-day workshop about design thinking and leadership in the healthcare space and partnering with a hospital in the New England area and taking, we'll be looking at one problem specifically around access to care for the elderly and really using this workshop as a vehicle to learn design thinking tools and leadership tools as they apply in this space and using that problem as a vehicle to learn those tools. And what I'm really excited about is designing what's a workshop like soup to nut, right? If I can design every aspect of it, what I would like to do is create a profoundly transformative experience for people so that they can come away with not only a fun experience, but something that where they've learned something that they can translate into something, lessons, both personally and professionally. That's super exciting. That is exciting. Putting together a a little opportunity for folks that not just Mm -hmm. like an academic thing that you go to, but something that you remember and you take away with for really the rest of your life. Ideally, yes. That's really neat that you're approaching it in that way. Yeah, it's, I had somebody turn my, when I was first going to be doing a workshop for Stanford for their big, I think it's their second biggest CME they host. And I'm standing on the stage with these big names in psychiatry. And this was early in my psychiatry career. And they said, well, we want you to teach a workshop on design thinking. Somehow I got exposed to this thought of like, what if I turn it on its head? It doesn't have to be a dry, boring presentation like we're so used to in a lot of these medical conferences. Mm -hmm. What if I just make it fun? 
You know, we yeah. turned up the music. We had people moving. I kind of made people uncomfortable. I had all these psychiatrists share like personal experiences with each other and <laughs> to get them emotionally engaged. Awesome. And then just started getting into brainstorming how we can reinvent CME and had a really amazing session that came out of it. And so like that has just kind of taken on a life of its own. Like how do we create these like transformative experiences and realizing that having fun and learning are like just vitally linked. No, it's key. And it's the power of questions too, right? Like, I mean, you could go, all right, mm -hmm. I'm going to create an effective course or mm -hmm. I'm going to create a transformative experience. I mean, which one would you all want? <laughs> you know, right. I, I, want yeah. an, I want a transformative experience. That's all I know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, man. Kudos to you, man. Definitely excited to, to hear how that goes. Um, so get, getting close to the end here, this section is a lightning round. So I've got several questions for you. Cool. It'll be quick answers followed by a book you recommend okay. to the listeners. You ready? Great. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? So focusing on improving the lives of clinicians, really giving them the tools they need to thrive and the freedom and, auto and autonomy to do their best. The lesson I learned in the Navy was when I really focus on making my sailors' lives as productive and positive as possible, they really turned up and far exceeded my expectations. So I think that would go definitely the same for clinicians. It's a great message. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Not being conscious of the technology that we introduce into the clinical space and what the ramifications are. Uh, and a quick example is as a consequence of EMRs and how we've incorporated them, most patient physician encounters are spent with the clinician facing the screen. And so much is lost in that process, especially this invaluable relationship between the patient and the provider. And it's also a huge driver in clinician burnout. So not thinking about like, oh, well, what if we do this? And it seems on the surface a good idea, but what's the larger ramification? What are we losing in the process? So yeah. how do you stay relevant? And, despite constant change? Great question. I think I'm focusing on some fundamental paradigms in the healthcare space, stuff that are really looking at some of these core pillars. The change seems to be much more on the surface of how we approach different smaller problems. So because I'm zoomed out and looking at systemic change in these fundamental arenas about leadership and problem solving and how to get the healthcare providers to work more cohesively as a team, that seems to be universal. Love it. What is your number one health habit? Oh, yeah, I've been adopting a few. So every morning, I try to wake up first thing and jump into a cold pool and okay. swim a few laps and then jump into a hot tub. And it's an act of both discipline and as well as kind of taking charge and shocking my system. And it's, yeah, it's a great way to reconnect with my body. Love One that. of the things I've been less successful about doing that I'm a huge advocate of, though, is daily meditation. I do try. I'm not <laughs> perfect at it. Some good practices. I don't get to it daily, but definitely as often as I can. I would say quantifying it maybe three to four times a week makes a difference. That's great. I did the cold yeah. shower the other day. Oh my gosh, man! It got me. It got me going. It got me going. It, <laughs> it does. Good. It kind of wakes you up. 
It does. It does. And how about uh, your number one success habit? Wow, that's a great question. I would say really trying to absorb material from every venue that I can. TED Talks, for example, are some of my favorite guilty pleasures. Uh, I also love Malcolm Gladwell's podcast or uh, on revisionist history, just because one of the things that they all do is just question some of the things that we just take for granted or walk through the world not even like questioning and it's wow i never thought about how sea slugs live in eastern africa or you know i just made that up i don't know that that's actually a ted talk but <laughs> it might be an interesting one i love so, it no um, this is this is yeah. really good and it goes back to your point right like understand the problem but question it don't just don't just assume that mm-hmm. that's the right right thing totally yeah all right. So what book would you recommend to the listeners, Andrew? Oh, I was dreading that question because I still don't have a great <laughs> answer. I have so many books that I think are really fantastic. I love all of Gladwell's books and they speak really well to me. I would say David and Goliath is great and Tipping Point is great. They're Actually, they're all fantastic. I do like a book by a guy by the name of Mike Abershoff, who was a fellow Naval Academy graduate. And about what he did when he took command of the USS Benfold and how he questioned some of the practices. You know, I just thought of it. The book I would recommend is the one I'm writing. <laughs> How's that? But it's not done yet. So before then, maybe these other <laughs> books will be <laughs> it will be a good well, listen, when you when you do come up with it, we'll get you back on, give you an opportunity to Excellent. share it with us. Definitely. Thank you. Absolutely. So uh, definitely has been fun, Dr. Chaco. I'd love if you could just leave us with a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with you or follow your work. Great. Well, thank you so much. This has been a, a total pleasure to talk to you this morning. So closing thought, I really want to help transform this space and make something that's just really a life-affirming institution that I know that it can be. And There's so many of us that struggle in these silos trying to do that. If there is a way that I can help, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, Probably the easiest way to do that is through my website, which is www.chacomd.com. That's C-H-A-C-K-O-M-D.com. It's as a designer, I'll say it's in the middle of transformation itself. It's not exactly where I want it to be, but nonetheless, it's a good way to reach out and see some of the stuff that that I've done. And also a more comprehensive list of books that I recommend. Love it. And yeah, this has been been fantastic. And Andrew, you know what? I believe that you got a ship. And so it's not going to be perfect. When we started the podcast, our website wasn't perfect. We redesigned the website and it's so much better now. But the point is start. And that's what you've done. You've taken the leap. You're doing some amazing things now full time. So definitely kudos to you and, and, and listeners. I recommend you definitely check out Andrew's work and how design thinking can help you question maybe some assumptions that are holding you back. So truly appreciate your time, Andrew. Appreciate you carving it out for us. Definitely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Saul. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.